how do you say hors d'oeuvres? Is that the right way? Hors d'oeuvres? Horse doovers. <laughs> Jokes. <laughs> Can I have some of those horse doovers? <laughs> On. Hello, Miff. Hello. Nice to see you again. Yeah, good to see you too. I like that I'm looking at you through a lens of uh, leaf, not I'm marijuana le- leaf, of course. It's just a <laughs> local plant leaf. Um, you are not Snoop Dogg. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's gorgeous. You've got your camera it's coming through some sort of jungle vibe. I'm just leaning my phone against a pot plant. So, yes, I'm now in a jungle. But this is how we mix things up on Bang On when you're in lockdown, just mixing (laughs) things up. Hey, before we get into lots and lots of fun stuff this week, um, we need to acknowledge and also pay tribute to the icon Helen Reddy, who in the last day has died at the age of 78. The woman who wrote I Am Woman won a Grammy for it, the first Australian to win a Grammy. And for better or worse, a song that's almost 50 years old, still absolutely making an impact in 2020. Uh, We knew that she was unwell, so it wasn't a shock. But, yeah, it's been really great to see the tributes around her life and her legacy, and particularly that song as well. I am strong. That's right. And I think for a certain generation, and it was a bit before my time, but Julia Gillard, our former Prime Minister, she was really emotionally um, connected to the work of Helen Reddy uh, and grew up with that song. And that song really had a huge impact on her life. And she's written a beautiful thing that you can see up on ABC online about um, growing up in South Australia and the impact of those words and the power that they had over her at that time to recognise her own role and, and what she could do in the future. And, and I love that. It was, it was actually really beautiful to read her views on that because I think there's a lot of, a lot of opinion pieces that will be going around about the impact. But, but given Australia had our first woman Prime Minister in Julia Gillard, mm. I think it, it's safe to say that, that music is transformative in a way. There are certain lyrics and songs that can affect you in such a way and, and certainly have for me and I'm sure for you, Zan, that do change the way you look at the world and think about the world. And and I think if Julia Gillard was motivated to, to become the, the leader of the country via this very early initial experience, I just think that's so wonderful. Yeah, and I'm the same as you. Like I, I didn't, you know, she released this song six years before I was even born. So it was a song that my mum uh, kind of introduced me to. But it, I feel like it had that it had that pan-generational effect, didn't it? And one of the things that um, Julia wrote in this editorial for ABC News was talking about those that, you know, her memories of seeing Helen Reddy singing the song in a kind of, you know, um, shoulderless dress with these strong shoulders and bursting it out at the start of her career all the way back in the early 70s and then seeing her perform it at the Women's March in LA in 2017 where she was not, you know, she was in the final stages of her life but with I think maybe Jamie Lee Curtis was behind her and sort of saying, we've got you, we're behind you, supporting you. And she still sang it out loud, punched her, her fist in the air. And in this editorial, Julia says, these two moments teach us what it is to be sustained by a cause, that the power of purpose comes both with the vitality of youth and the experience of age. I loved mm. that. It's a, it's a great piece. We'll put it in the show notes. It's a really mm. beautiful piece. I do my head talk. 
Um, that is the magnificent Lizzo, and the reason we're playing that is because uh, a monumental occasion. She is on the front cover of the latest edition of US Vogue, looking, can I say, absolutely magnificent. She's wearing a red Valentino gown. It's a very simple photo shoot, uh, grey background, red Valentino gown, uh, full-bodied shot, full length for Lizzo, and it's come with a lot of applause around the world but also there's been a little bit of criticism and I think we'll get into that there was an interesting article that uh, we found on Indy 100 and this article was titled people are very divided on what Lizzo's Vogue cover really means and look I'm not sure that we need to look into it that deeply because it is a cause for celebration because Lizzo herself has said she's so proud to be the first big black woman on the cover of US Vogue. And that, that, like I said, that's a pretty important moment given US Vogue is an all-Vogue magazines are traditionally known for only putting on, not putting on people of colour, but not putting on women who have bodies that are beyond the norm of the modelling world. So quite a monumental occasion, not just for mm. Lizzo, but for all of us, I think. Definitely. Yeah. That's what struck me first when you sent me this article of people criticising it and, and also the fact that this is such a big occasion. I, my heart broke a little bit for Lizzo because it's just like, can you just let her have this moment? This is actually awesome. What, and I think that this speaks to the, you know, the valid discussions that we can have in the internet space where people can be like, yeah, this is great, but also here's um, some issues with it. But I did kind of react of like, I don't, I didn't see that like people were talking about how stark the cover was or how it was just plain. And it's like, well, they've not, it's not like they've never done that before. I've definitely seen them put very plain backgrounds. And what I saw was this bloody resplendent woman in this incredible dress. And that's all I saw. It was like a statement on the front when she looked amazing. And there was nothing behind because that's all you wanted to see, just Lizzo, you know, there as a commanding force. I didn't see it as a, oh, it could have been a more interesting cover or anything like that. And I just think that that it takes away some of the power and the celebration of that moment that immediately, and I know that we see this a lot in internet culture, that there's like, here's something great. And then seconds, microseconds later, yeah. and here are all the things that are wrong with it. So that was my first reaction when I saw this piece. But I don't know, do you think that there are valid reasons behind some of these criticisms that some people have leveled at the, at the coverage and the way it was shot and the clothes that she picked? Yeah, well, I mean, let's talk about some of the positives. People were saying, um, and these are a couple of messages on Twitter that are included in the article, uh, someone's written, as a fat woman, I cannot express to you the feelings I have, have seeing Lizzo on the cover. Someone else has written, they didn't do a boobs up shot of her in a giant coat. They gave her a gorgeous dress and a full body shot, properly lit, where she looks wonderful. I'm shocked in a good way. And I think that comes from uh, uh, you know, generations of women who haven't seen themselves on covers of magazines mm. like this, and that is cause for celebration. But something connected with me with the criticism, and this is the criticism or one of the criticisms that was given. All right, and this is a tweet. Vogue stylists don't know shit about fat bodies and continually fail to capture their beauty. They did it with Adele and they're doing it with Lizzo now. Fat people do haute couture and it's the failure of the stylists and creative heads to envision and imagine a fat body as art. And this actually connected to me, with me in a way that I, I was quite surprised. Clothing is is considered art. Clothing is a performance and it is an artistic one. And quite often they are staged as such on a very, very, you know, what we know as, as 
as model bodies. And um, I'm not sure that this is correct of this Lizzo shoot, though. I found the, the full body shots of her in those dresses. She didn't seem shrouded at all to me. But I have had experiences, particularly in the past, not so much now, I do think it's changing, mm. where you work with stylists who simply do not know what to do or did not know what to do with a body that was not of a model shape or a person on television shape. And think about the type of bodies that we've seen even on television. Only up until the last five years that's changing but to go to a photo shoot where you'd and this is me personally where I'd go and there'd be a whole rack of clothes and and this is no criticism of them they just never worked with bodies like mine that were short round you know big in parts that aren't normally what they deal with and and you can see the disappointment on their face when they show something to you and you put it on and, and it just looks absolutely horrible because they just haven't thought about how different bodies work with different shapes and styles. And I do feel like that's changing now. It's changing significantly and that's so much for the better. But for years I remember that feeling of going to a shoot and having to put on these clothes and and the shame that I felt Mm. of my own body because first and foremost I was never comfortable and I still am not with, with, you know, your body being a a clothes horse in that way. But... Mm. You want to look nice, but it's there was a real disconnect between what worked on your body and what other people thought would work on your body. And I do think now that stylists and magazines have had to start to think about how to dress bodies that aren't considered model norm. And yeah. I think that's magnificent. And I do suspect that some people thought maybe they did cover up Lizzo a little bit much or made her boring to make her palatable. So I get that. That Valentino dress was gorgeous, but it was a bit of a... It was a bit of a day dress at the races. <laughs> it was a little bit spring racing carnival now it that was, you mentioned it. It was just a bit, you know, it was like, uh-huh, I, I don't know. Now that I think about it, do we want it? Did she deserve, did she deserve more than that? I don't know. Something a bit more amazingly artistic, which she is, and, or maybe this is what she wants to show us. I'm not sure. Well, we're bringing our own preconceptions of Lizzo and what the world that she's given us yes. so far through through the way mm. that she dresses on stage, through, you know, the way that she, you know, pitches to her audience on social media, you know. She's totally free and maybe we're expecting to see something freer and more outlandish as a result for mm. Vogue. But maybe, again, like we, we'll never know those conversations that happened. Mm. O- on that tip of trying to find, you know, the right outfit and having a stylist who doesn't necessarily understand it, whether it's their fault or not it's you know that we spoke about this a couple of years ago when I'd been looking you know for Mm. for weeks for an outfit to wear on New Year's Eve and it was in that you know we're really lucky that we get to do events where we get to get dressed to the nines and it's that's awesome but it's particularly in that field isn't it of the glitzy and the glamour that like literally there was some places where I couldn't even barely find a dress that would be go higher than size 10 you know and it was just so demoralizing and really like it it really got me down because mm. it, you just you just feel like time after time where you just can't find anything if you're the if you're the one factor that's consistently wrong quote unquote wrong then it must be you you know then it must be mm. your fault it must be it must be you not being able to fit in that square peg in the round hole or more likely the round hole in the skinny square <laughs> peg hole but <laughs> 
I agree. It is getting better. Like last year when I got my dress, it was like first dress I tried on, thank God. But I think hopefully the fashion world is catching up and the fact that Lizzo is on the front cover of Vogue, um, the first black woman of a certain size to grace an iconic cover, um, that's a great thing. And it's one more step hopefully in the right direction. Oh, and she's not the first black woman to grace the cover, though. Oprah Winfrey did, and uh, legend has it that Anna Wintour, the editor of Vogue, suggested that she lose 20 pounds before yep. she was to be on the cover. So times have changed. Thank God. We just want to party. Thank you for sending me this amazing article in GQ magazine. Michaela Cole and Donald Glover have a lot to talk about. This is an amazing Q&A. Oh, it's the best. And it's in GQ magazine, which is Gentleman's Quarterly, for those who forgot. It took me a while to work out what GQ actually means. But they're really um, killing it at the moment because in Australia, on their version, uh, we've got Briggs as guest editor this month and he's also interviewed in the magazine saying mm. some pretty pretty important stuff. Um, and this interview has just come out of the blue and it incorporates two of the most creative minds, I think, in screen um, makers of screen content in the world right now. And I think if you think about Donald Glover's Atlanta, what an extraordinary series. It started out quite like a regular TV series with a narrative and then it just went woohoo and then it took us to places that was never expected and was also quite playful and 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 really interesting and funny and, and thoughtful and weird and, and I loved it. You don't see much television like that. And similarly, Michaela Cole, um, her I May Destroy You, which again we've we've talked about and is a bit of a brutal watch, take it easy. If you watch it, it's really intense. It talks about her own sexual abuse and, uh, well, let's be honest, her own rape and Mm. how she coped with that in real life. It's not made up. But in a way, as a television series, it's extraordinary because it doesn't, in the same way that Atlanta did, it doesn't treat television as a format. It just treats it as a vehicle for her story but as we find out in this article when these two creative brains get together it's about how they've created their universes I just think it's it's a wonderful creative conversation and two two of the finest brains if you're interested in screen culture two of the finest brains that we have right now it's fascinating and you can see this they're just sort of pivoting off each other this whole chat it's not there's no small talk going on a couple of the things that stood out to me was um Donald Glover's talking about subcultures and Michaela's kind of like what what do you mean by you know talking about subcultures And he says, culture travels and disperses so much faster now than it used to. People used to talk about the change in music and rap. And I'm like, well, that really happened because of how information travels and it happens so fast. You know, you used to be able to go to Australia or Japan or you might have a friend there and say, yo, check this out. And you'll hang out and you'll be like, oh, this is cool. This is interesting. But now all of that culture or subculture is shared by pictures and, and the internet, and they talk a lot about the internet. One of the other things that he noted, because Donald Glover is famously not online at all, like every now and then I go to like tag him on Twitter or Instagram, I'm like, that's right, you've got no online presence, but he reveals here that he actually is there. He's looking at Twitter, he's soaking up the conversations for better or worse. They talk about the binary nature of Twitter and how there's no room for nuance, but he's 
skulking around. He's creeping and seeing what everybody else is posting um, but just not posting himself. And I think that that's really interesting that he's kind of just observing that world of culture, Mm. that realm of online culture, but not engaging it himself. He's clearly would be feeding that into his world. Michaela as well, like a friend of mine told me recently that she has followed her for the last few years because she's been making shows like Chewing Gum for ages. And my friend Phoebe was saying that she followed her on Instagram and a couple of years ago she was just posting heavily a whole bunch of videos and stories and then just deleted everything. And she's realized now watching I May Destroy You that what she was probably doing was testing the waters, actually writing the show because in her doing going Instagram Live, Facebook Live in I May Destroy You is a huge part of how she tells her story and understands or at least perceives to understand her sense of purpose and her weight in the world. And I just find that fascinating that they're both using it, and and rightly so, they're using it as a research tool, but also mm. knowing knowing when they need to pull back and not engage in that world. And another great thing with that, which comes sort of halfway through, like two-thirds through this epic chat, which the whole thing is so worth reading, mm. there's this great sense of both of them doing the work, putting it out there, but they're not hanging around to quote unquote see the impacts. Like they don't care about that. It's in the process of sorting out how they tell their story, what their story is, put it out and then it's yours. And there's not this kind of obsession with what do people think? Is it being louded? And I just found that so refreshing. It's kind of like it's done, it's out in the world. What's next? What do I do next? Mm. And you get that sense Mm. so strongly from both of them. Like there were so many parallels in their creative process that you saw come out as they were bouncing off each other. Yeah. It was really refreshing. I love this piece. Thank you for sending it to me. Yeah, I'm jealous of her ability to to choose what's next because at the moment I have no idea what's next. (laughs) And I, I I love, though, that she revealed that she doesn't know either. She's waiting for it to come. And Donald talked about writing some sort of Bible or something. I mean, that's oh, a big yeah, project. That, that. That's a big project to do what's next. I'm sorry. Look, can, we, can, we, can we just acknowledge that he talked about it to his shaman? He spoke to his shaman about how he wants to write a Bible. So put that in the back pocket, ready for the Donald Glover Bible. Yes. <laughs> I'm ready. So I'm ready. Look, my next project might be quite as ambitious, but I'm still waiting for some <laughs> sort of divine intervention to tell me what it's going to be. And I like that they both experience that feeling. You don't know until you know. And that's something that you can't force and I love that the magic of creativity yeah it's perfect I love it you're gonna fly away glad you're going my way I love it when we're cruising together really quick you mentioned happy birthday to Gwyneth Paltrow who turned 48 this week and let us know with a a naked post um, where she managed to look like a fairy, a wood nymph, in fact, according to Vulture magazine, while also selling some goop body butter uh, at the same time. So some good spawn con for her birthday. Did you see this? A very funny little write-up in Vulture magazine. For her birthday suit. Good spawn con. Oh, mum. I know. Well, that's exactly what Apple wrote on Instagram too. She just like no words other than (laughs) mum. I mean, look, she looks great. Obviously, the body butter's working a treat for her, um, keeping it all together. Quite frankly, I'd need a hell of a lot more than body butter to get nude and have a photo shoot like that. But, you know, we know that she's got access to everything, so she should look that good. 
What Gwen is really telling us with this picture, says Vulture, is that she's a mythical deity of the forest tied to all things growing and good, and although she may not be a mortal, she will live longer than humans. Happy yeah. birthday, Gwyneth. 48 is really just 21 in her world, isn't it? She's just beginning. Just beginning. <laughs> We've only just begun. <laughs> well, we know what it means when we hear that song. It's time to talk about passion. And this is pretty special. I got alerted on Twitter to this particular fashion event it's amazing covid style paris fashion week is on at the moment or has just been on i don't know who cares about dates i'm in lockdown it could be any time <laughs> um but a lot of designers have been grappling with how to present their work to a an audience that doesn't give a fuck because they've been wearing tracksuit pants for the last six months yes. um and b they can't really get together and dress models because it's all very unhealthy and Um, They've got to come up with a new way. And I think one of the best ones that I've seen is Moschino, uh, who sent puppets, marionettes, down the runway for their spring-summer collection. And it was beautiful, but it wasn't fashion. It was like a doll show. I loved it. (laughs) Seriously, I I need to know how big these puppets were. Did they hand-stitch tiny miniature versions of all of their, like, high-end frocks and stuff it's incredible this is just such yeah. a beautiful thing i want all fashion shows to be done by puppets from now on this is oh, amazing absolutely. well these are these are actually um jim henson or from the jim henson house uh, creations oh, wow. these marionettes so there's a lot of money going into it as you can imagine because of fashion and jeremy scott who is the head <laughs> of the fashion house he is known moschino is known for that kind of you know they're full-on creations that take artistry to another level and it sometimes is a bit over the top for mine but i um, I'm happy for him to, to be in that place. But there's a lot of thought and effort gone into this and it looked adorable. They had Anna Wintour in the front row or the row, as they like to call it. Um, <laughs> she they? was there. She, she was one of the marionettes. Yes, yes. Um, you're in the row. <laughs> and they had the editor of UK Vogue, um, French Vogue in the front seats. There was actually one, only one right line of seats, but um, I thought it was divine. I loved it, but it wasn't fashion. It was just a doll show in a doll's house. <laughs> and quite frankly, I'm up for that at this stage in lockdown. Can I just say that in this episode of Bang On, you've taught me two things. I've been calling it hot couture, not out couture. So that's something that I'm learning now. Out couture. I've been calling it hot couture, and I've that's definitely right. been I've definitely been calling it machino, not moschino. <laughs> machino. Oh, I love that machino jacket. I love that so, machino shit. <laughs> such a bogan. I'm such a bogan. What no, is wrong with you're me? You're fine. You're fine. It's only because I delve in the world of fashion that I know this. <laughs> I could be saying haute couture incorrectly. I don't know. How do you no say one's hors- it. How do you say hors d'oeuvres? Is that the right way? Hors d'oeuvres? Horse doovers. <laughs> Jokes. <laughs> Can I have some of those horse doovers? <laughs> I've told you my story about when I went to a fancy restaurant when I turned 30 and um, it was – Tetsuya's, which is like, you know, of of its time, one of the most fanciest French-Japanese fusion restaurants in Sydney. And we did the degustation, famous degustation menu and walked in and because it was a special occasion, um, the waiter came up and um, he, you know, offered us some champagne. He's like, oh, would you like some Paul de Roger? And I just looked at him and went, (laughs) rosé. 
Oh, that's all right. As and then I just stay there. I'll have some of that pole, Roger. <laughs> Rosé. Absolute right. bogan. You can tell He's I was a born battler, in always Essendon. a battler. That's why we love you. <laughs> We're all battlers. None of us. I mean, people who know all that stuff, they've got too much time in their hands and too much money. We don't want to be like that. We go be all right. Um, what are you banging on about? Um, banging on about a book about this guy, Kendrick Lamar. It is the first biography of Kendrick. He's an intensely private guy. I'll say up front that he doesn't participate in this biography. It's all taken from interviews with those around him, those who have worked with him, um, and lots of past interviews that he's done. But these days he doesn't really do any interviews at all. Um, but it's called The Butterfly Effect, How Kendrick Lamar Ignited the Soul of Black America. And it's written by a guy called Marcus J. Moore, who is a music journal that's written for a whole bunch of great publications like the New York Times and Pitchfork and The Atlantic. Um, this is his first book. And what I loved about this book is it's not just I like I love Kendrick Lamar and I you know I think that he is the greatest rapper of our times, but it's not just his story. It's about this kind of the time that he has come into and how that has paralleled with his own story. So a song like that, all right, being you know the anthem of the Black Lives Matter protests in 2015, it's still an anthem. Um, and, and a sign of sort of solidarity and hope for many of the protests that continue today. But also this like this huge impact that he had with getting a whole bunch of jazz musicians on his second record and, and just how much that kicked off this new resurgence, this sort of resurrection of modern jazz and particularly for those L.A. artists like Thundercat and Kamasi Washington and all of those amazing people. Um, and the other thing that I really love about it is that you know, biographies or just when you think about people of note, sometimes you can get carried away and think, oh, it's, you know, this person is a genius and they're often very, you know, they're great, but they're like, it's all because of what they've done. But this this biography tells the story of the community that he was in, the people that he surrounds himself with, the management team that he that he got on board with and that creative community and just how they all lift each other up. And it's just such a great reminder of how success uh, doesn't happen in a vacuum, you know. Like anybody who's ever worked in any kind of creative industry knows that there's a village of people behind you and while you're the person or that's the person that's out the front of it, there is a world of people who have helped you and you've in turn helped them as well. So it's it's a great read and it's just another – it was great to dig into Kendrick's uh, story. I did a few times I was like, um, I'd love to know what Kendrick – would say I'd love to hear his voice in this but it, it, I'm sure one day you know he'll tell his story he already does tell his story in all of the music that he writes um maybe one day he'll put you know pen to paper and write his biography but until then uh the butterfly effect is a really great read so I loved it really really interesting yeah what are you banging on about um I've got a book as well I've been reading I, I know I promised to read or at least listen to the the Catlin Moran book I didn't get around to finishing that. So um, I, I read something else because I, I was just absolutely gripped. It's a gorgeous read. It's called Such a Fun Age and it's by Kylie Reid and she's an American author. And this one is, it, it's a joy to read, but it, it brings up so many issues. It deals with things like satirising white people's pursuit of wokeness, which I think, you know, cuts deep in a lot of parts in the book. Um, it's a real, it really investigates race, um, it investigates privilege, friendship, 
all of those things. And it tells the story of this character, Amira Tucker, who's sort of an aimless post-grad who's babysitting for a family. And what happens is um, the husband in the family is a newsreader in a new city and he says something that's a bit racist and they get an egg or something thrown through their window. And so she, Amira, the character Amira gets a call while she's out on a Saturday night to come and take the child away from the house while the police come. So Amira takes the child to a local supermarket and she is accosted by the security guard who implies that she has stolen this child because she's a a dressed-up black woman holding a white baby. And that's the beginning, that's the premise of the book. And it's just fabulously written. I've I've not come across Kylie before. I think this is – she's she's quite new. Um, She may have been nominated for the book, or I'm I'm not sure I could be wrong on that, but Mm. it's a gorgeous read, like just – it, it, yeah, I couldn't stop reading it. It was it was fantastic. So highly recommend it. And I would lend it to you, Zan. But Vivian really enjoyed it too. Um, oh, no. Is now, as I look out my backyard, is now actually all the pages are strewn all over the backyard. Um, oh, she's decided she likes books too. So <laughs> can't lend you that one. Viv's like, I may destroy you to that book. And she yeah. did. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And such a fun book for her. You so you just talking about that reminded me that my boyfriend just read that book as well because you're just explaining it, the, the premise. And is it like it's a YA book, yeah, like it's written for young adults but it's totally like anyone mm-hmm. can read it. But is it initially yeah. like it's pitched, which I love that this is the stories that are being told to kind of teenagers. That's awesome. I, I really want to read this. You just reminded me to, to pick yeah, it up. it's great. It's so great. Unreal. Oh, what a week. It's I know. Like cu- culture continues even in lockdown. What else is there? What else is there? <laughs> what <laughs> else is there? <laughs> I don't have a life. God. If, if, if anything, if we don't come out of this absolutely supporting the arts with a vigour and a verve that it deserves, then we are awful human beings because, frankly, culture is what's got us through. And we all know it. You can't hide from it. We've all used it. We've all celebrated yep. it. We've all leaned on it. This is it. This yep. is what's getting us through 2020. Yeah, and anyone who thinks that it is not valuable, unacceptable, unacceptable. Support the arts. Support the arts. Hashtag support the arts. I was going to say get a dog up yet, but yours is better. <laughs> Good on you. Get a dog up. <laughs> I haven't heard that since 1985. <laughs> I had to Google it for my recently returned from London producer the other day because she was like, I feel like this is a diss. And then she Googled it. She's like, oh, San. <laughs> I mean, obviously it means get a dog up here, but where does it come from? I don't know where it comes from. Get a dog up here. What is it? What's the actual uh, thing? Hang on. Oh, here we go. Um, it's a common way of saying go fuck yourself. Okay. <laughs> but it's origin story. But it can also it, quite can, grim. it can also be used as a friendly term of endearment. So oh, okay, okay. Oh, then. It, See ya. Get a dog up here. <laughs> it's there's so many different reasons. Okay. Alrighty. Um, I'll see you next week, Zan. See you next week. Bang. 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 Bang on.